available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm just going to be quiet because it was like I wasn't here, but I'm here. I'm back. I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. I'm out of the well, David. I'm back. I'm ready to join you. You did an amazing job. On was the it solo a climb? Show. Like, how did you get out of the well? Because I, I got to be honest. Like, after I recorded the show, I didn't go looking for you. I didn't. I did not bark outside of the well. Like, there was no lassie behavior. Did you just climb out? Was somebody there to give you a ladder? Like, I want to know the details. It was kind of complicated. Um, so I lured this little dog uh-huh. um, down into the, and then the guy who threw me in the well really wanted the dog back, and you know. Was telling me to put some lotion in a basket or something, but there was a, <laughs> I threatened to kill the dog, and uh, that's how I got out. Okay, well, all's well that ends well. <laughs> Did you end up killing the dog? <laughs> no, the dog's fine. No dogs okay. were harmed in the recording of this podcast. Great, great, great. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, Dave did a great job on the show. You guys have sent in a bunch of questions. I did a little tweet myself because it was so fun last week. Get some more Twitter uh, questions for you today. We got some email questions. If you want to email us, pack12podcast at gmail.com. We'll try to get on a more regular basis day, you know, whatever, the same day. Going through the off season. Uh, you can call or text us too if you want to, 424 532 0678. Twitter at pack12podcast. The website that David discouraged you from going to, but you should definitely go to pack12podcast.com. Find all our old episodes there. And a little commentary, you got some stuff. And the Reddit page, Podcast of Champions. We both don't know why the little R is in there. I thought David would, since he's more of a Reddit guy. In what way? Like, in what way is that true? You knew what it was more than I did, I oh, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that is true. My bar was low. It was very low. Um, and then we have this little rule for our Apple podcasting uh, app friends. We just want, you know, subscribe to the show for sure. Give us a five-star rating. We just want the five stars. Then talk some trash about us in the comments. You can write a question in there if you want. I think, I don't, I don't remember. I think we have two new ones, David. We, do, and have, one of we the, do have two new ones. One of them broke the rules. Yeah. One is a rule breaker. And again, as I've said before, the most, the most offensive rule breaker is not the one star because I get that. Right. We understand that, you know, you really fucking hate us. That's fine. <laughs> I get that. This guy gave us four stars. Mm, that's, that's just crap. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read his. This is from Jay Green Williams. Uh, subject line, political podcast with some football. If you're looking for a mixture of P12 football and liberal politics, this is your podcast. David, one of the co-hosts, goes on as much about how Trump killed thousands with his COVID policies as much as he does about football. It's too bad they don't avoid talking about politics like they do basketball. All the while, 
David turns off roughly half his audience, parenthetical, the conservatives, with his off-subject liberal views, and then they expect five-star ratings. Stick to football or rename the podcast the MSNBC P12 podcast. All right, I have a few thoughts on this. Uh First, first and foremost, I think he's asking for a safe space here. Is that your understanding? (laughs) I think so. All right, second, 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 second. I... This, this, I think, speaks to the, the lack of nuance in our political discussions because I am actively insulted by you referring to any of my views as something that you might see on MSNBC. Like, what do you think is on MSNBC, guys? It's like corporatist nonsense politics. It's not my deal. It's not. None of this liberal, political, whatever, the, the corporatist kind of stuff that you see on MSNBC, that's not my deal. No, I am uh, I am much more, you know, like a communist. So, yeah, anyway, uh, Jay Green Williams worked on some nuance. Um, you know, you can call us out for being a leftist, half leftist podcast. That's fine. But liberal. No, 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 yeah. no, no, sir. Well, I feel good because I had nothing to do with this four star, I think. But he, I, I guess I didn't uh, combat you enough. Maybe Jay Green Williams. No, would've. I think I think I think the delicate flower here might have been upset regardless, even the, if you had. The biggest issue I have here and I want to see where you you stand on this, David, um, where what do you feel about people that use their first name initial and their middle name? Like if this you're guy's not name- an author, if you don't write books, it's uh, it's a bad move. So maybe his John Green Williams, and he goes by J Green Williams. And well, tra- the, the, the thing is, the J would almost have to be something you're embarrassed about, right? If you're not an author. So what's like an embarrassing J name? Uh, like Josiah or something? I don't know. I like, don't know if that's embarrassing though. Like, is there a really embarrassing J name? Because I think that's probably what we're looking at with Mr. Green Williams here. Yeah, that, I'm trying to think of. I mean, there's like Judas. The, like the L. Ron Hubbards of the world, like what? Like is that one? Um, I th- I love uh, Bob's Burgers. I think. Yeah, it's but like, the thing is, with L. Ron Hubbard, he he's an author. Like yeah. that's what he started out as. So I get it there. But why? Really, why do authors do that? Like I'm not sure. I don't know. They want to seem frou frou and fancy. I don't know, man. H. H. John Benjamin, I believe his name is. It does. He does the voice for Archer and uh, for uh, Bob's Burgers, and he's on like the Arby's commercials. I love that, that guy's funny, and he's got an awesome voice. But I'm not sure why he needs to go by H something. Well, you got to stand out. Like I get that. You got to stand out from the crowd for like marketing your stuff. So if you're in some sort of artistic field, it makes sense. I, I, I and I'm not saying I don't know that Jay Green Williams is not an artist of some sort or a writer of some sort. Certainly, there were enough typos in here that you know I would probably knock writer <laughs> out of the out of the park here. But um, yeah, I'm just wondering what Jay is short for. So Jay, Jay Green Williams, if you want to edit your review and just let us know what the first initial stands for, that'd be great. Or email us. Uh, we're certainly curious now. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a, a non-rule breaker. We've got a great one. Uh, uh, this is just perfect because I, I'm not even reading it yet. It might be a horribly written review, but it's got five stars. This is from USC Fan Guy 122 Subject line, the most specific podcast I will listen to. Uh, whether you are a USC fan who absolutely must know the latest info on Oregon State's assistant to the assistant linebackers coach or a UW fan who is dying to know what kind of an impact ASU's new recruiting analyst hire will make. This is the podcast for you. 
This mostly entertaining, odd couple-esque pairing of hosts keeps all of us weirdos who listen to college football podcasts in February up to date on the latest info on the Conference of Champions. Keep up the good work. Nice. Love it. Yeah. No, no, no notes. It. No notes. Perfect. I, I mean, I don't think it describes our podcast in the least. I would say this is um, hardly specific, except when you get a question from our man Hithliday. Then it gets very specific, and then these questions that uh, no one is dying to know are answered. <laughs> <laughs> we do our best, uh, but thank you um, for that one. And it is it is funny that he mentions there's weirdos that listen to college football podcasts in February. You know, maybe like the first week when it's, you know, signing day. After that, you've got to be a pretty diehard, right? Because there's really not much going on. We don't know what's going on with spring football yet. Even if you were, I mean, if you're into spring football, you're a weirdo like me. But, you know, mid-late February, what is going on? that you want to listen to a college football podcast. I still do. I still listen to some of them, but I get it. So I, I love the way he coined that. There are definitely a bunch of us weirdos that would like to talk about this stuff in February. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm only like halfway one of them, uh, but I record this thing. So what are you going to do? You're recording the podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's our job. So we get it. Like we kind of have to stay up to date on what's going on, but um, good stuff. So I did enjoy your uh, solo show. You only went an hour. Uh, mm -hmm. So I thought you might go a little longer, um, but we, we did solicit some more. I did some more questions today and uh, we'll talk about those, but there's some notes. I put some notes in cause I, you know, this is my thing. You missed the fact that this was happening. I tried to give you a few resources you could look at from the well. And uh, I'm not I sure I mentioned it. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it's really big for the commissioner search. So I thought that would be sort of the theme of today's show. We kind of have to pick a theme, especially in these off-season shows, if there's something going on. You're just um, looking for an easy way to title the show. You just want something to put in that subject line of the... You have to. Like, that's yeah. hard to do every every mm -hmm. week. I get it. Especially during the off-season when there's like, what did we talk about? Well, we normally talk about nothing, but I have to call it something. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So I went with the commissioner search kind of stuff today. But the Salt Lake Tribune... Did a great job. Uh, they interviewed uh, Kirk Schultz, the the Washington State president. He gave a few thoughts. They also tried to talk to um, Oregon's president, Michael Schill. He didn't give any quotes. And I believe Washington's president did give a statement. I can, I'll can i read that in a little bit. But So I just wanted to get your thoughts on what uh, Kurt Sch Kirk Schultz said. Um, and we'll talk more about that stuff. But he said, overlap is critical. Um, Larry, so talk about overlap between the conference. So having some sort of, uh, time with Larry Scott in, in, uh, you know, having a, a, a candidate in place before Larry Scott is out. So he's leaving June 30th. The target, according to the Salt Lake Tribune is to have somebody in place by June 1st. So Schultz said overlap is critical. Larry's been really good with this transition. He wants to see the conference do well. Overlap is critical, so the next person can pick his brain, hear about what has worked, and start to put his or her imprint on the job. All of that concerns me. Um, <laughs> so anything, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want yeah. I, no. I don't want any overlap. I want you to just like torch whatever Larry Scott did and move forward. You know what I mean? I mean, I think there has to be a transition period. I think there. I mean, it's a big organization. I get that. So. Um, Something where they're not just like picking up just because I, I, there's going to be a, a, a just with the nature of, um, you know, it's there's a lot of moving parts to running a league. I'm sure um, you don't want to have a bunch of plates spinning in the air that the person just has to inherit. I get that. I just don't know if you really want 
Larry's insight on strategic stuff or any of his advice on any of that stuff. I mean, it depends on who you hire. If you're hiring somebody who has like very little experience, who's going to have to um, learn a lot. I don't think Larry is going to be the best teacher, but if it's somebody with some experience who needs like, you know, Hey, okay. So this is who we've been talking to for this. If you want to get in touch with them, but I don't know if that needs to be Larry. That could be like, you know, some other senior management type, you know, some VP who's just the one guy who's left over to like help with the transition. I don't know if that has to be Larry. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, Larry does want to see the conference do well because he doesn't want to make his tenure look awful. So I don't think he wants the conference to tank when he's gone because it's just going to show, yeah, Larry just put us on a, you know, he, he, he headed us towards the iceberg and there was no choice. Uh, you know, we had to suffer heavy losses before we could kind of get back at things. Um, Schultz also wanted someone with on-campus experience, which I thought was interesting, you know, cause we've talked about, it could be like a Fox or media, you know, Fox or ESPN kind of person that's done the football, um, you know, deals on the television side. And he said, other covers are doing that it happens everywhere, but it really depends on the next commissioner. Uh, I'm sorry. This is about like hiring outside consultants for that. Um, the media stuff. He says, does it help to be media savvy? Maybe, but you go hire someone who understands where you are, work a deal back and forth. And then the commissioner selects how to do that. There's people out there that believe you have to have a commissioner that's worked in sports media, Fox, ESPN. That is not the case. Um, so I feel like it, he, he wants someone that's, you know, media savvy, but not necessarily, look, we, we got really screwed on the television side. Let's go get someone from TV and that'll fix the problem. It, my guess is they're not going in that direction from what Schultz is saying. Yeah, I, I, I read it a little bit lighter than that. I think he's mostly just saying we're keeping our options open. Um, you know, does it help to be media savvy? Maybe. So I think it's, well, if they get somebody who's in media, then he can say, yeah, it, it could help. Um, but if they don't, you know, they can say that was part of the strategy all along. Um, this Most of his comments read to me like somebody who's just kind of giving a statement without really saying anything. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I still I, I'm pleading ignorance on what makes a best commissioner. Um, certainly, I would think having some savvy with regard to um whether it's viable and makes sense to for example start uh you know four different networks or whether it makes sense to just contract that all out essentially with ESPN or Fox um you know somebody who has the savvy to understand that but then again um a lot of people not in media had the savvy to understand that so yeah. i i don't know i mean i i think there is maybe some um you know, it's like when you're hiring a football coach and you end up hiring the guy who your previous guy was not, like the exact opposite of your previous guy who failed. It's like that. Um, if you go way over the top and just try to hire some VP at ESPN or what have you, I mean, we brought that example a few times. Are you just responding to the major error of the Larry Scott era or are you looking forward um, to, you know, what strategic challenges this person's going to face? Yeah. Um, and and I, I don't know. I mean, I think there are some um, there's some major challenges with the network still coming. So maybe it just makes sense to do that. But maybe that can be handled without hiring somebody in media. I truly don't know. Um, and I, I think Schultz is just leaving his options open here or leaving the conference's options open here. 
I think they're, they're, you know, and that's what the next statement's about, too. So Washington president, we're talking about names. So her name is uh, Anna, but it's A-N-A. And then it's uh, M-A-R-I. It's pronounced like Calamari. Mari, uh, Mari. Like, so Anna Mari, and it's Kause, her last name. Um, and it's spelled. Is it uh, Kause or is it Couchy? Kause. Like I've, I've looked up her pronunciation. They say cow, C-O-W, uh, dash S-A-Y and it's wow. C-A-U-C-E. So that's a, a, there's complications in all three parts of her name. So that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I, at least the, the pronunciation I looked up, it was Kause. Okay, um, cool. Yeah. What, what would you have gone with? I would have gone with Anna, I would have gone with Anna Marie Couchy, but that's because I'm an idiot. Um, Mari makes sense given the spelling, but Couchy would have been the way I would have 100% gone with the back end of that. And then that I think in Whoa, the, and I'm seeing it spelled two different ways. Yeah, because in the the uh, South Lake the the Salt Lake uh, Tribune article, it's C A U C I, and I've seen online C A U C E. So maybe they had a typo in yeah, there. Yeah, dude. The, What's but, going on here? But that's from the Salt Lake. But there's two two spellings, right? Yeah. Okay, so she says Kause. That makes sense because on Wikipedia, her name is spelled C-A-U-C-E. So if I saw the I, I'm going Chi at the end because I'm thinking it's almost Italian. Kause, okay, this makes sense. She's Cuban. Okay, now I, now I get it. Now I get it. The Couchy was throwing me off because I was like, that looks Italian. Yeah, I believe that's what was in the Salt Lake Tribune. I just copied it from there, so that's interesting. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Well, this is just been, Yeah. So anyway, interesting names. But her statement was, I know many are interested in what we're looking for in the next commissioner. I would say that nothing is off the table, along what David was saying. We'd love to see candidates with experience running a major conference, but also are also very open to someone, quote, outside the box. The most important thing is that we find someone who cares about students in higher education has sound judgment around finances and the ability to lead. Yeah, and the, the first part of that is blah, 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 but the has sound judgment around finances and the ability to lead. <laughs> so those are, I think, two of the major issues with Larry Scott was first, I mean, obviously, um, absolute disaster of a decision to go with the networks over um, you know some sort of more robust partnership with one of the major networks. Um, and then the ability to lead, how many times did we hear about, like, just low morale in the Pac-12 offices because of something stupid Larry Scott did? Um, so I think I think both of those are real commentaries on the Scott era. Yeah, no, I, I, that makes sense, too. So uh, so that's interesting um, from from the, uh, the so that's the leadership group. As you guys know, the Washington, Washington State and Oregon presidents are make up the leadership group there and, you know, leading the, the charge, trying to find who the next Pac-12 Commissioner is, and uh, you know, David mentioned it's part of the uh, the turnkey search. Uh, I think what Utah found their um, athletic director from that search. We also saw the ACC pick their conference commissioner from that search firm. That search firm. My apologies. Um, Wilner also had a fuck couple of uh, points on this too. He really felt that the commissioner should focus on football. Um, we can start with that one first. It's a it's a big one. I mean, I I feel like you don't want to ignore the conference strength of the uh, the Olympic sports, but if yeah, you do. I mean, 
I, I don't want I don't want to ignore him, but if you had the choice, no, no, of, no like, but it's it's focus, the same versus, way. Look, yeah. look at any of the way the athletic departments are handled in the conference. It's the athletic department. The athletic director's main job is fundraising and um, so finances and making sure football and basketball don't get screwed up. That's basically any athletic department throughout the Power Five. That's what it is. So the commissioner level, it should be the same thing. You've got lower level people who handle the sports that don't make any money. Like, and that's fine. You still handle them, but it's not the job of the commissioner in any way. And it never should be. The commissioner should be handling the finances and then making, keeping a pretty firm hand on the operations of football and basketball. That's what it should be. And mostly football. Yeah. Where Scott was kind of focused on the Olympic stuff. No, he was focused on like buying a new house with a loan, like uh, whatever (laughs) he was focused on. uh, I don't, I I don't even know if he was focused on Olympic sports. I think he thought he was being clever. I think he thought he had a really, this, this outside the box idea that was just based off of a complete lack of understanding of, of the market for any of it. Right. But I don't even know if he was that interested. I think he was trying to build a market for something that nobody else had any interest in. Exactly. When you, and you, you mentioned this, the seven networks there were, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a need for that. There, there was no demand for, I need to see Oregon State women's tennis when they're like an out of conference game against Portland State. Like, that's awesome. You put that on live, but nobody watched it, and it cost you a lot of money, and it cost you distribution, all that stuff. So yeah, there's, I, I definitely the focus wasn't the right place, and I agree with Wilner. You have to have someone that knows football, focused on football, if you want to make this work uh, in the Pac-12. And he talked about not falling down to like group of five status, but being below power five and above group of five in like your own little limbo world. Like you have to get the football stuff right. So yep. I, I think that's a, a high priority. Um, also talking about internal candidates. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I I don't really, you know, people that are like, you know, current conference um athletic directors or people that worked in the definitely no one that's worked in the PAC 12 right now, you want to get that someone out of there, but this kind of screwed the the big 10 over. And he wrote about, so Morton Shapiro is the Northwestern president. He led the process trying to find the big 12, big 10 commissioner. So they had a good internal candidate, uh, Jim Phillips. Um, he was the athletic director for Northwestern. Obviously Morton Shapiro would be familiar with him. The Big Ten didn't go that way. They went outside the family and they took Kevin Warren from the Vikings. Obviously, that hasn't worked out so great so far. And then one year later, the ACC brings in Phillips, who they found from the turnkey search firm. And, you know, we'll see what happens there. But is there a danger, David, if you could overlook a good athletic director in the Pac-12 that might be a great commissioner because you go outside? I mean... I, I mean, it's a weird, Kevin Warren was a weird one. Obviously, Larry Scott was a weird one. But if you go outside, I, I kind of prefer the outside stuff, but just maybe not some like way outside the box person from outside. Yeah, I mean, I could go either way on it. Um, I think you leave the, um, I, I think you make the search as broad as possible and you consider internal candidates for sure. Um, I think in my preferred situation, you probably don't take somebody who's uh, currently um, a big part of the Pac-12 decision-making process. Um, so for me, that would rule out uh, any of the school presidents. Um, and then at the AD level, more than likely all of them as well. Um, and basically anybody within the Pac-12 organization as it is now. So I guess I'm basically ruling out the Pac-12. 
but I, I don't know them all. Like, I don't know all of the ADs. I don't know if there's anybody who's, like, just super sharp, super with it, and has been in all these meetings suggesting all the right stuff and just getting shot down. If that person exists, then, well, hell, they should be hired because they'll have all the familiarity with, um, you know, just the base functions of the Pac-12, and they've, you know, clearly got good judgment. I don't know if that person exists, though. I don't know if there's been somebody in these meetings who's just been saying all of the right things and has had all the right ideas. Um, but I don't want to rule out the possibility that, that person exists. Yeah. No, I, I think that, um, I think that makes sense. Like people talk about Oregon's Rob Mullins as someone that could, uh, be there, but Wheeler talked about there's the political aspects. If you get like Oregon's athletic director, um, maybe, you know, if you're talking about Michael Schill, does he want to lose his athletic director to, to run the conference? If you're Washington, do you want Oregon's athletic director now running the conference you're a part of? So there's definitely political things that could go through where not every athletic director and president get along. If you appoint one of them, the smallest decision could turn sour and and someone that was an enemy of yours prior is working behind the scenes to kind of thwart stuff that you're doing. So there's there's some political aspects to it if you, uh, you know, hire from internally as well. That's right. Um, okay. I think that was all I had on the, um, commissioner stuff, unless you had anything else, no. but right after you recorded this, it seems we got some news like your boy, Tyler Shuck is gone. Yeah. Shuck. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we don't have to like mispronounce his name anymore unless he transfers within the conference, which I don't think will happen, but he gone, uh, yeah. you know, he, he led the, or, I mean, he led the conference in passing efficiency, I believe. He led the Oregon Ducks to a Pac-12 championship without winning the North, but he, he did it. Uh, and now he's gone. We saw, you know, Anthony Brown come in later in the season, the transfer from Boston College, mm-hmm. more mobile, had a couple he touchdowns. Sort of, he sort of uh, shucked uh, him. Is, is, that it, a, I mean, is that kind of a reach? No, I like that. Like an oyster? Do you feel like... I, I think it's get pretty good. I thought, I, thought I, I thought I did okay with that. I, yeah. I think it's like 90% there. It, it's there. Uh-huh. I, I mean, my initial thought wasn't that like, oh, they're going to have Brown take over. But the more I hear about it, the more I hear about it, I think, oh, maybe, that's, maybe that really is the they case. Lost, but- they noticeably lost all faith in Shuck uh, like halfway through last year. Um, when he was in the game, they were calling super conservative stuff, especially late. They were just were not asking him to do anything, and he was even kind of screwing up with the things they were asking him to do. Something, I don't know, just something kind of broke with him because I thought he looked really sharp at the beginning of the year. Um, I thought his way of you know handling the read option game was actually really good. Uh, you know, good ball handling, the whole deal, um, and then it just fell apart for him. Um, and they went more and more to Anthony Brown. Uh, late in the year. Um, so I think it makes sense. He probably wasn't going to hold on to his starting job in spring. Um, so maybe this was a mutual decision. I would imagine it was something like that. Um, because even not Anthony Brown, but with Oregon's recruiting, they can recruit over this guy pretty quickly. Um, so I, I don't know the whole Oregon depth chart right off the top of my head. Um, but I don't think he was going to be re- maintaining his job by all accounts. Yeah. That was, I mean, I, I guess maybe I was just being, I, I was just kind of ignoring that. And I was like, uh, um, he wasn't going, you know, I, I just felt like, okay, it was a weird season. He, they won the Pac-12. I think he ended up throwing like nine times or something in the yeah. Fiesta Bowl. Um, 
But I just felt like they were going to go forward with them. But obviously there was other stuff going on behind the scenes. There was, you know, obviously there was hints of that there. The confidence level had dropped. But it's so rare to see something like that. Like you're the starting quarterback for a team that wins the conference and you leave, you know. Um, that's just a, that's a weird, it's, it, a lot of things have to happen for something like that to occur. And, uh, that was, that was, that was just a weird one to me. Yep. We also, uh, Jameer Calvin, if you remember him, he's like, isn't he like five, six or something? He's like a little dude, uh, for <laughs> Washington state, um, 92 career catches. He's going to the transfer portal. He's going to play elsewhere. I think he, I think he redshirted his junior year maybe. And then, uh, played last year but he's going to go to the portal i didn't I've, i don't know if you heard anything about him david i haven't i don't remember yeah i remember him as a recruit ucla was on him for a little bit um i don't know how serious they ended up um but he's very fast um yeah so I, I think he'd be a good pickup for hopefully somebody else within the footprint but we'll see where he ends up going yeah i think he was an la guy fine if, if yeah he correctly. was um, all right. And then there was another one. So this was interesting. Wilner did a little thing on Steve Sarkeesian being a threat to the PAC 12. So obviously he's now the head coach at Texas. Um, he talked to him for an article, but we already know Washington lost their defensive coordinator. Uh, Pete Kwiatkowski is, is with Sark now. So there's one PAC 12 poaching, I guess you could say, but just last week, Malik Murphy, who's the you know five-star prospect from Sarah High School here in Los Angeles, um, you know top West Coast quarterback uh, for the class of 2022, he committed to Texas. Now Texas had I think like the number one guy committed, and he decommitted. Uh, you know when the, the with the coaching transition, but Sark goes out and gets a guy, and he's recruited you know Southern California obviously a lot before when he was at Washington and at, at USC, but. They're going to focus, you know, Sark talked about focusing on Texas and things like that, but having a guy like that when there's already blood in the water um, for, for Pac-12 recruits and the Pac-12 footprint, it's probably not good news for the Pac-12. I don't know what you think about it. No, it's not. Um, it's yet another, I mean, it's a whole different school um, that's going to focus on California. Um, you already have Clemson kind of cherry picking uh, occasional guys in the West. You've got Alabama doing it. Now you're going to have Texas doing it. Um, Oklahoma historically does it, especially in the Fresno area. Um, it's it's absolutely critical for um, the L.A. schools, as I kind of went on at length about last week, um, to get their shit together. Uh, because Sark, look, I don't think he can build a program off of California talent. He's going to have to recruit Texas and do it at a major level um, and all things being equal, he has to take the Texas guy over the California guy, or he's going to piss off a lot of people in that state, but a steady leavening of, you know, two or three of the top California guys every year. I mean, that's going to be a real talent drain, especially on top of what Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and various others are already doing. Um, So yeah, it's a real threat. Um, And he's got a lot of connections out here and he's a, a really good recruiter who prioritizes recruiting in his staff too. So yeah, I, I don't think it can be discounted. Um, Texas is going to be a, a major player on, in California while he's there. Yeah, no, I think so. It's so uh, that's just something else that the PAC 12 had kind of has to worry about. And, you know, does Sark have a little bone to pick with Washington and USC maybe? So that's uh... oh, whatever. I, I, I read that part of it and I'm like, yeah, dude, uh, no, no, you don't, you don't, you don't have a bone to pick with anybody in the league. 
well, you, he did, you, got, he, you got your stuff together, and that's great. But no, they they gave you jobs. That's true. He did try to sue USC though, so I don't remember what happened there. I don't know if they settled or whatever, but it it got settled. I don't think it was ever publicized the yeah. amount or whatever. All right. Well, those are all the topics I had. Um, anything else? Uh, no. I am I am ready. I am ready to hit some questions. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break, come back, and answer some questions. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Sample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> 9 over 8. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here on the podcast of champions. I think we got a few emails. You want to do those first, and then we'll kind of go through the the tweets and give them a little yeah. extra time to to marinate there. Absolutely. You want me to start with uh, Aaron? Sure. Football program depth. Uh, Dave, thanks for answering my question last week. This time, I'll try to be less verbose. Uh, we've heard for a while now about how USC's new athletic admin has been working to build out the infrastructure in the football program. If you had to rank the deepest football programs in the conference in the conference in terms of infrastructure, who would be your top four? Also, where would your top ranked team in the Pac-12 rank in the SEC? Cool, interesting, Aaron. So that's a tough one. Um, yeah. I know that USC's building theirs out. They're trying to be more of a modern college football power. They, you know, they're hiring more analysts. Um, they're they're doing a lot more. They're acting more like they're trying to be a big boy again in the world. And I, I talked to someone there who didn't know exactly like the breakdown, how it would go in the rest of the conference, but he did say it's usually basically tied to revenue and budget. You know, there's a bigger budget. There's, you know, deep, deeper infrastructure and Washington of all the public schools. So Stanford and USC aren't included. Washington actually has the highest revenue. Um, they, I think it was last year was uh, over a hundred, almost 134 million um, followed by Oregon uh, and Arizona State and then UCLA. And those are the programs that came to my mind anyway, David. I mean, would you agree with th- those ones? Probably. Yeah, the, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, I mean, it's who you would think uh, mainly. I mean, it's the schools that generally um, are historically the better half in the league. Um, I'm sure of the privates. I mean, I'm sure USC and Stanford both, you know, even with USC trying to revamp and be more modern, I'm still – absolutely certain those two are probably in the top half too yeah um but yeah i mean of the four of the publics i think those four make the most sense but as far as like ranking them within the sec all think, of them middle tier or worse in the SEC. yeah 
I would say so because, I mean, even like you have a program like Arkansas, you have a crap load of money coming in. And I do want to bring up my diminishing returns argument again because I don't know how much the 50th analyst on your staff is really helping you. Um, There's only so many recruits to see. There's only so many plays you can break down on film. Like there's 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 major diminishing returns. I think some of this is just we've got money. Where the hell do we spend it? Um, and that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're stacking them up against each other, the the SEC, I think I, I don't even know if the Pac-12 would be in the middle of the pack there. I think it, uh, the top Pac-12 team. I don't know if they'd even be middle of the pack in SEC. Yeah, I would guess somewhere in the middle. I, I feel like yeah, they're you have this huge list of, you know, video analysts and graphics people and all that stuff's cool. I, I feel though it's like about good hires too. Um, you get that one, you know, recruiting, maybe he's an offensive quality control assistant. Maybe he's your director of scouting, but it's not, you know, a lot of times you talk to recruits or you, you interview recruits and they'll mention a coach for a program that isn't actually a coach. He's like their director of recruiting, but he's, really on top of things. And there's a market for those guys and they get hired away from different universities. Uh, USC just hired one of them away from Texas. And he was a guy that came over with Tom Herman and, you know, Sark wanted to keep him. You get uh, uh, Brian Carrington, that that guy's name, but you get like kind of really good analysts and they hire away um, from other programs. I think the opportunity to get some of those really good people that can help on the, like make a significant impact on the recruiting trail. Like, that guy like recruited like Ed Oliver when he was at Houston. Like he got a five-star guy to help come to Houston. And when that guy gets to campus, he's asking for like Coach Carrington, who's who was a student at the time. He was like still working there. So I think if you can go out and hire good people. If you're Arkansas, can you get a better like you know director of scouting or whatever than Oregon State can get? And that helps recruiting a lot. I think that can be significant. But you're right. Like if it's the fiftieth analyst down the road, it probably doesn't matter. But you want to be able to get some of those higher profile guys too, that can go out and really help your 10 coaches uh, out on the recruiting trail. If you can. Yeah, absolutely. We have a, a Tyler Shuck uh, email from Erlen West LA. So we kind of already talked about this, but he said, what is behind his decision to transfer? Then he just lead his team to a conference championship. What is the story? Thanks for all you do Erlen West LA. So we kind of talked about this. Um, we should probably get like Kevin Wade or somebody on, maybe he can, uh, Share some share some yeah. more insights. Yeah, we should probably start. Um, that's actually a good point because we should probably start doing our spring previews here pretty soon. I'm sure people are. I'm sure some of the programs are starting to gear up for it. Arizona's especially. Yeah, I, you know, because of the pandemic, I know USC's delayed theirs. They're typically early mid March, and they're going early April now. I'm not sure where UCLA's doing it. We but- haven't gotten the official word yet, but. Usually they start the first week of March, and I would have to imagine that's not happening this year. I would not think so. Um, but Arizona State was, you know, they had a lot, uh, half their spring football got in last year before the pandemic. Can they go in late February again, or are they going to delay as well? So, yeah, it's it's good point. I th- Maybe I'll send an email to the crew and see where when everyone's starting. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we got only one more email. This is from uh, your friendly neighborhood, Ute, uh, regarding conference expansion. <clears throat> to the BYU fan who wrote in last week about the Pac-12 adding Boise and BYU, eat my ass, go beg the Big 12 for an invite. That is all. <laughs> Sincerely, your friendly neighborhood, Ute. 
That was uh Oh, we have one more. We just got one more. Oh, we did? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, um I can read this one. Okay. This is from Eric. Pac-12 Network at Bars. Uh, I disagree with the emailer who said that going streaming would hurt watching games in bars. Most bars have DirecTV so they can get NFL Sunday ticket, and thus they don't have the Pac-12 Network. We specifically chose the bar we did for our Oregon watch parties because the bar is one of the few in town that also has Comcast and thus gets the Pac-12 Network. Though 10.30 p.m. local time kickoffs um, are not conducive to watching a watch party out on the East Coast, or to having a watch party on the East Coast. Going to a streaming option such as Amazon, I'm sure would be much easier for them to put on than the current situation where nobody gets the channel. Bars have figured out how to stream services like ESPN Plus and NBC Sports Gold on their TVs despite not being traditional channels. But moreover, as you said last week, bar viewing is by far not the most important criterion for selecting a distribution model. Keep up the work, Eric. Yeah, um, we should. I think we should embrace the year 2021, which is what it is now. Um, bars can get really good Wi-Fi, and um, a streaming device is inexpensive. So I, I don't think this would be anywhere close to as prohibitive as all these um, bars trying to figure out how to get a television package that includes the Pac-12 network. Um, and I think they would all do it relatively easily. And, you know, I don't think, I mean, Amazon already is branching out into some sports. I know they're doing a bunch of Premier League stuff. Um, but uh, if the Pac-12 were to go with something like Amazon, whatever, uh, they wouldn't be the only one. You know, eventually Amazon would be trying to get more and more and more. So it would behoove the bars and everybody to, you know, start loading up their streaming packages. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this would be any way a major barrier. I agree. And I feel like, you know, if you're a bar and you need a bunch of flat screen TVs, like you go on Amazon, you're like, oh, TCL, what's that? It's like some Chinese TV or whatever. They work pretty well. Like Roku's built in. You get all the apps you want. Boom, you can stream whatever. And I, I believe YouTube TV now has, uh, I have, I'm streaming YouTube TV at home. And I think there's an add-on that you can get Sunday NFL ticket on that. Or maybe it's a red zone or something. Maybe it's not NFL ticket. Maybe it's the red zone. But there's obviously there's a lot of options there. And I feel like you're, you know, especially all these bars are like kind of redoing everything. Like if there's opportunities to just like, yeah, it'd be much easier if all of them were just running off our Wi-Fi instead of like cords going all over the place and everything. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it's something you could still accomplish. And uh, I remember I did a a little piece back in the day on uh, on the site about which like local bars would have the Pac-12 network. Like you had to go through that. So there was, I mean, it was hard to keep up the date, but people would send in like, oh, we're doing our watch parties at this place and in New York City. So I would put, okay, you know, Joe's Bar in New York City has the Pac-12 network. Um, but you shouldn't have to do that, obviously. You just want to be able to go places and most of them have it. And I, I feel like what you're saying, David, if it was on Amazon or something else, there should be pretty easy options to stream and, and get it out there. That's the whole point. You want to be able to watch it. You don't want to like have the two hosts of the podcast of champions like discussing how they can figure out how to get the Pac-12 network this year. That is not a good model where I can go home, sit on the couch, and if I just wanted to watch the ACC network or the Big Ten network, it's on my TV, whatever I have. That's that's where the Pac-12 had failed, or one of yep. them. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Uh, we got some tweets. So I tweeted out uh, a, a request for questions. Um, usually we see these at different um, times, but – our buddy Tom McNamara said, how do I prove that I'm not Larry Scott's burner account? Mm -hmm. And 
I tweeted back at him. I get your thoughts on this. I said, in 10 seconds or less, tell us how you get from Coit Tower to the Golden Gate Bridge without the use of a limo or a helicopter. If you can't do it, we know it's you, Larry. He did not respond within 10 seconds, but he did say, walk down Telegraph Hill, turn left to reach the Embarcadero in a couple of blocks, then follow the coast until the stairway leading to the bridge. And to me, that felt like one of, I, I said it was his assistant's assistant looking it up on Wikipedia. I don't know. What, what's your say on this? Um, that feels a little convoluted to me, um, but I think it's, you know, it's a way, certainly one way to go. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, he's he's definitely Larry Scott. <laughs> definitely, because we're talking about you. That was, boy, it took him three minutes. I mean, that is a full, that's a full Google. And I think Larry, he's living online right now. So, um, you know, he, he should have been able to respond immediately. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's an easy, easy Larry Scott. Yeah. So, Tom, hey, you know, you're doing a good job with his burner account, but we, uh, yeah, it's still his burner account. All right, this is from a Utah punt team. Okay. Uh, if the conference is to get better, how many top 10 and top 25 teams should the conference have on a yearly basis? Oh, I think for what did David's point about the ACC, the most important thing is having like a top five team. So you get that one, it brings up, you know, it's the rising tide, you know, whatever. What is it? The rising tide lifts all boats, lifts which all boats. is not what Clemson does. Uh, rising tide uh, sinks all the other boats, but right. it would make the Pac-12 perception better. Um, so yeah, one of these schools needs to be a top five-ish team, and then top twenty-five teams. I don't know, five, something like that. End of the year, top twenty-five, four or five. That's, I mean, total. That's, it seems like a lot. I think you could do it with four, but I mean, for Clemson, you get Syracuse. So Syracuse beats Clemson or like gets a close game with Clemson. You get credit for that. Like they're like, oh, Syracuse is a good team. You know, I, I feel like there's an opportunity because Clemson's so good. You don't expect it to beat them, but it makes Miami a little, you know, you give them a boost or whatever sometimes too. But I feel like you do need that, that, that playoff team and that will help the most. But if you have no one else that if, if everyone else is terrible, I think that doesn't, you know, it, it makes it, it makes it so that puts more pressure on Clemson. And I don't know if it's USC or Oregon or whoever. I don't think they're ready to have that kind of pressure on them that year after year, all they do is win every game except maybe one. Like, that's not those teams. So you kind of need everyone else to be pretty good, too. So, yeah, maybe four or five. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I would say that's probably what it should be. But let me just look at the last time the Pac-12 was really good. It was like 2013-ish. Um and one, two, three, four, five, six teams finished in the top 25. Oh, so, yeah, I think four or five would be pretty consistently like that's a that's a good league, good, strong middle of the pack league. That's not going to beat the SEC, but um, that's, I think, the kind of and that that usually means a couple of teams flirting with the top 10, a couple teams in the, you know, mid range to 25. Yeah. So um, I think if they were able to consistently do that then I think they'd be fine. Yeah. This one's at Zach Stewart five, Zach with an H, uh, who still has a job, uh, longer, who, um, who still has a job longer chip or clay. He has two questions. First one, who still has a job longer chip or clay? That's gotta be who will have a job yeah, longer. Right? I would think. Yeah. Um, God, gotta go chip there. 
I think so too. I feel like Chip was trending in the right direction in 2020, even though, you know, you could argue that's too late. He should have been doing that the first year, like Dave was saying, but I don't feel like he's getting, getting blown out in 2021. I they feel have like, to have a losing record, which is going to be hard with yeah. the amount of returning talent they have. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, I think Clay Elton has to do a lot better than just not have a losing record to keep his job in 20 after 2021. So I'll go chip there. Also. Martin Jarvin might surprise me, um, but I'm saying if it's 500, he can point to they're improving and then still keep it for another year. Yeah. But I think Clay's more on the extremely hot seat. And then he says, any Pac-12 teams make the Elite Eight in hoops this season? Maybe USC. Uh, they could. Um, I mean, it's weird, like. You, well, UCLA had a couple injuries. They were looking good. Yeah, for a UCLA's. While. There's no way they might. They might miss the tournament at this rate. They're free falling a little. Well, they lost. Uh, so UCLA lost its best or last year's leading scorer um, and probably its most versatile offensive player and one of its better defenders in Chris Smith in December. And they were doing okay for a little while. Um, and then uh, Cody Riley sprained his ankle and Jalen Hill, um, their other big guy, has been out with uh, personal issues and he might not make it back. Um, so it's just, it's nowhere close to the team it was a month or two ago. Um, so they, they're, I won't say completely falling apart, but they're going to limp to the finish here. And it's just, I think it's mostly a question of whether they sneak into the tournament or not. Yeah. Oregon's won three in a row. Uh, what they're like twelve yeah, or four. They might not make the tournament. Um, no, it's it's probably uh, the the candidates here would be USC, uh, Colorado. Maybe you could talk me into Arizona if they just if some things just kind of break right and they make a run. Uh, but I think USC or Colorado are the two um, real potential candidates here. All right. We talked basketball. Oh, yeah, look at us. Um, I would say I would put it. I think USC really could. I mean, they've got one of the best um, NBA prospects in the country um, in Mobley. So maybe. <clears throat> All right. This is from Burt underscore B 1989. Uh, are the QBs leaving the Pac-12 because they're scared of USC's defense? <laughs> <laughs> someone, I think someone tweeted that at me like earlier this morning. Like it was like they retweeted a, you know, one of the hype videos or whatever from that, that the school puts out and they're like, that's why. So I think that was kind of a joke at, at someone else's tweet at me that I didn't respond to or retweet, but they must've saw it. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. No, I don't think anyone's transferring out because they were worried about USC's defense. Um, this one is from, uh, at MC DeCoste. It's Matthew DeCoste. Okay. I said, do you expect any PAC 12 schools to hold out on license licensing for the new EA game, and would that be a giant mistake or the biggest mistake? I don't think anyone would do that. No. That would strike me as insane. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be a giant mistake. I think it's, um, <clears throat> I think it would hurt you in recruiting um, because once this game is back, um, you remember how it was in, like, the 2014 and before days. All these dudes would be like playing as themselves in all of these games and getting super excited about it all the time. Um, so I think it would hurt you. Um, I think it's easy marketing. I think it's easy, you know, kind of 
publicizing your brand or whatever. Um, so no, they should not hold out on licensing for the new game. Maybe no. some of them will. I could see Stanford being stupid, but the rest of the league, no. Yeah, there's, that would be very dumb. I would feel like I don't know the finances behind it or what the you know benefits would be, but if you're like Alabama, you're Clemson, you're Ohio State, and you want to hold out for some reason, I think if the power that you could do that, it still might not be a smart decision. But if you're in the Pac-12, like that's just another reason. Like, if, especially if the rest, if the rest of the country is doing it, you have to go along with it. You can't like we're better than that. Like, no, you're not. Stop. So unless everyone else is uh, opting out, then you should not opt out either. It would be the the worst mistake. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. You just don't. You don't want that. Um. All right, this is from Big Easy 206. Hey guys, I just left a voicemail. Do we have a voicemail? I didn't hear, I didn't see one, but lies. Uh, and completely spaced on one of the questions I meant to ask. My third question is Do you guys get a, a sense that the current CEO group recognizes the importance of football to overall health of the Pac 12? Uh, I feel like the initial interviews that Canzano did with all, I think all three presidents, it sound to me, the sounding, it sounded like, yeah, look, football's important. We can't be on our high horse saying like, we're good at, at lacrosse and that's what matters. Like, no, I feel like my gut feeling was they know that football is very important to the conference. Um, so that would be my guess. I don't know what you think, David. I would hope so. I have no idea. These eggheads, yeah. who knows? <laughs> I didn't see. I just looked. I didn't see any uh, voicemail. No, so no voice maybe now. maybe it was for another show. This is from Dave from Sequium. I don't know what. Uh, had any good burgers lately? Ooh, good question. Um, nothing that really stands out. Um, you know, your occasional habit. You know, that's habits legit. Habits look good, but it's not. It's nothing special. It's nothing like you know. Nothing new. Um, I don't know, Ryan. You got any had any good burgers lately? I did. So they do you like those charbroiler places? Um, sure. There's a place called Rods on uh, Artesia. Okay. And it was like you know had a actually the day I was in the I was a bad day in the well. Yeah. And uh, had a friend bring me over a uh, a burger from there, and it was uh, very it was very good double cheeseburger. Liked it a lot. So they, they brought fries. you the burger. They brought you the burger, but they didn't help you out of the well. I just got out of the well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. So you you hadn't yet you hadn't yet returned you had just returned the dog uh, to the person who had you trapped in the well. Yes. And okay. I was listening to the podcast of Champions, and and you doing a great job with that, and uh, got a burger delivery, and it was it was very good. Um, also, did uh, are you a fan of the uh, French dip? Did you ever go to Philippe's oh, who downtown? Doesn't love, who doesn't love a good French dip? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I uh, did that one as well recently. It's not a burger, but uh, it's just one of my favorite. I had to be downtown for something, and uh, it was very that's where good. The, that's where the well was. The well the well was downtown. And I was like, you know what? Philippe's is right around the corner. I'm going to go get Philippe's. And uh, it was very, very good. So I like I like doing that. Yeah, that's great. Um, there's a in El Segundo, an Ike's. Just opened up. Ike's Lovin' Sandwiches. Have you ever had that? I have not. I would have to try. Oh, that. you got to try Ike's. But I just had a, I had a Matt Kane from there. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful bread. Just excellent sauce. Amazing sandwich. 
So, so what's the Matt Cain? I'm not familiar. It's like, a, you know, it's heavily meated here. Let me look up what's exactly on it so I'm not leading you astray. Okay. But that's like a sandwich sandwich. Like, that's like a thing. Like, that's not a specific to this It's place. a type of sandwich. It's, oh, okay. uh, it's one wow. of the sandwiches at his, uh, at his joint. It's a roast beef, turkey, salami, godfather sauce, and provolone. Sounds good. I don't know what Godfather sauce is, but it sounds oh, it's badass. delicious. It's delicious. You should go there today. You should go there for for dinner tonight. You should go to the Ikes on Sepulveda. I think it's I'll my do recommendation that. to you. All right, I like get, it. Get yourself a Matt Cain, or uh, you'll look at the look at the menu when you get a chance. There's a lot of different stuff. You might like it hot. There's some stuff with peppers and stuff, but there's a whole variety of sandwiches. I'm in. All right, yeah. I might do that. You should. Um. Okay, well, great question there, Dave. We appreciate it. Um, this is from Jesse Eisenstadt. Uh, what are the major differences between recruiting three stars, four stars, five stars, uh, between recruiting three star, four star, five star basketball and football players? Does he mean the differences between recruiting them at the different star levels or the difference between recruiting a five star basketball player and the five star football player? I kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, I was thinking the latter. As you read it? Okay. Um, um, basketball player, you have to spend a lot more money. <laughs> yes. That's true. At, e- at, at each of those levels, you have to spend more money. Um, <laughs> Shoe contracts it, matter at basketball, yeah, it's, it's, too. A, it's a much grosser and muckier thing to recruit basketball than it is football. Um, uh, just there's a lot of, lot of people involved, especially at the five-star level. In football... You still run into five stars who have no handlers whatsoever because, you know, whatever, they blew up their senior year or something. Basketball players, they're almost always known from the time they're like freshmen in high school. And it's just they get they get on these AAU circuits and it's just these gross handlers around them the entire time from whatever family coaches, uh, the shoe people, like everybody around them. Um, So, yeah. Uh, it's just a grosser experience generally. But that said, basketball usually gets done quicker. Um, the recruitments don't usually drag out super long. Guys commit a little bit earlier. And uh, once they commit, there's not as much of the flip-flopping. Uh, because, you know, money's changing hands. You know, it gets a little bit tight when it's actually a deal being done. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here's a question. Uh, I'm not sure who this person is. It's at... Wilner hotline, this John Wilner person, he says, fourth down, source of frustration or source of outrage? Wow. Wow. Profound. That is profound. Um, I got to go for me, it's a source of outrage. More than frustration. You, you seem yeah. to get both. You seem to be outraged but, and very frustrated. I've reached the point where it's... Um, it's not frustration anymore because it's that's that's very passive. It's passive to be frustrated. I am constantly outraged at the bad decisions being made on fourth down. And absolutely it's one of the so the thing is a head coach gets criticized for a lot of things that are, you know, in that wishy-washy territory where is it the players not executing or is it blah 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 the the one like one of the few things that are purely under the control of the head coach is your like base tactical choices right and one of them that is entirely on you 
like entirely is the math of fourth down and your kicking game, managing the math, like knowing the basic statistics of how this stuff works and screwing it up with the regularity that all of these coaches do. And it is truly all of them is absolutely baffling to me. You would you would think at this point, given how evolved we have gotten in our football conversations at all levels, you know, the NBA had a revolution in terms of, you know, analytics being applied in all these advanced statistics. This isn't advanced stats. This is very basic stuff like really basic expected value of your decisions. You do not need to like run weird algorithmic things. You just need to have like a basic understanding of whether or not it makes more sense to go for it on fourth and one or punt and gain 20 yards of field position because you punted in the end zone. And still so many coaches are bad at it. Um, so source of outrage. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I, I'm trying to think of another example because basically you have like a legacy. There's like a legacy decision process, right? There's le- legacy logic. Where you just felt like punting is the right thing to do. You punt, you punt, you punt. And the game changes where the the offenses are scoring at a much higher rate. The, the, the obvious one is bunting in baseball. Bunting, okay. Where it, is, is it still not a practical, you know, to you don't the bunt. runners over? Bunting is stupid, basically. Okay. <laughs> uh, because you, you should, well, it's, it's essentially the same theory. Because when you punt, you're, all you're doing is semi-controlling a turnover. That's all it is. You're turning the ball over. You are willingly doing so. Bunting, you are willingly giving up an out. To willingly give up an out, you better be getting something damn good for it, right? If you're willingly punting, you should be getting something damn good for it, right? If you're punting from your own 10 and you punt at 70 yards, great. You just got something damn good for turning the ball over. Um, but when you're bunting to just move a guy from first to second— you're not getting anything, really. You're getting what? What's the expected value of having a guy on second versus a guy on first? Yeah. Minimal. And you're giving up one of your precious outs. In football, you're giving up one of your pre- precious possessions to move the ball for the other team to then move it back to you. Uh, it's got to be significant field position. Like, we're talking tens and tens of yards or time and score. You know, if it's the very end of a game— and you've got the ball at the 50, and you can punt it away instead of going for it on fourth and three from the midfield and just get the ball down and also bleed some clock, that's a whole different situation. But in the mid-game situations where they are punting almost ever from the 50 or in, it's mind-blowingly stupid, and it's due for a revolution. I was thinking, like, outside of the sports world where, like, if you're investing in your 401k— and you're young. I've got, yeah. a, I've got, a, I've got an easy one. Uh, okay. 401ks. I was just saying that. Okay. <laughs> I, no, no, not even just like a strate- strategy for your 401k, just 401ks generally. It's a bad, bad, stupid thing. Stupid program. You're not. Okay. Um, and wh- so why would that be? Uh, just invest in social security. Just, just shore it up. It's, it's, it's a better program. It's better. It's universal. You don't have to be tied to an employer to get it. It's great. Do it. Okay, I, but you, is like the math like so? You would say like the traditionally you've been doing that, but the math really says that you shouldn't be. But everyone's been doing it, so they don't want to go. Like it's kind of what punting is. Right? Everyone's been it's, doing it. It's tough because um, 
I don't think there were any nefarious elements designing whether or not you punt on a fourth down, but there were nefarious elements designing the 401k program. So it's tough. You know, it's not apples to apples. Um, God, what would be a good example of like a real life situation where you're just doing something because of accepted wisdom? Well, I just like if you were if you were investing in a 401k and you're young, it's better to put things in a higher risk category because you don't need to to cash it in for 40 years or something. But if you're older, it's probably better to be something in less risk. But if there was like that was the logic behind it. And then all of a sudden it changed where like long term stocks became less risky or more or or short like then you you might change your but you've been doing that for so long you might want to change the philosophy uh, i feel like with football punting maybe made more sense when pro- points were more at a premium and it was really hard your know, field position mattered a lot more where now you know you're the kansas city chiefs and you can score from the your own one as easy as you can score from you know the opponent's 20 so there's less value in just getting Say if you average 35 yards of field position, like that, that value is much less, you know, your, your expected value from 35 yards difference of field position isn't going to be as high in 2021 as it was in like the 1970s. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I would even say going back to the 1970s, even then the propensity with which they punted was bad even with those less flashy offenses even when it was three yards in a cloud of dust like even all that stuff being true punting was still a bad call um because your odds of getting a well especially on fourth and one fourth and short because your odds of getting that conversion if you're running your full offense if you're not getting stupid with how you call fourth down if you treat it like any other down should be close to 50 50 at worst um so it's just uh I, I think it was always dumb. Um, so it has to be one of those, like, you know, something where you just accept it as true, like something that's just, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, if some you're like piece, playing... of, piece of given wisdom that everyone thinks is true that's not actually true. You know, one of those MythBuster things. It's maybe like when you're in Vegas and, like, blackjack and you have a 16, you're like, oh, I don't want to bust. I'll just stay. With It's the wrong mathematical decision. I don't know if that's – it's not like a universally accepted thing, but if you're kind of a blackjack novice – you're just like, well, that's too close. I can only get, you know, anything yeah, more than I, I, that's actually a fine example, but it's more like um it's more like not hitting on fourteen. It, right. it, or <laughs> not hitting on twelve or something. Like it's yeah. it's like um it's just uh something where it's closer the, the to a fifty fifty. Because the thing is yeah. you hit on a sixteen against the seventeen, which is what you're supposed to do. I mean, you're gonna bust a lot. Yeah. Um, and but it's just the math in the long run is going to play out that you should do that. Um, this is even better than that. It's like um, you've got a 12 and you're standing against the seven. Um, that's just pure dumb. Um, and that's more what I what I think it is in, in football right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't remember whose turn it is, but we have one from Rusty Handler. Uh, if each Pac-12 head coach were a were on a barbecue menu. What would they be and why? Wow. Okay. Uh, Clay Helton is pork of some sort. He's pork? Okay. Yeah. Maybe like pig's ear. <laughs> okay. What's the... Why? <laughs> I don't know. He just... He reminds me of pork. All right. Um, uh, God. Chip Kelly would be some sort of like 
not like on the normal menu, maybe. Um, maybe that like jalapeno and cheese stuffed uh, sausage, like it's pretty good. It's kind of unique, but maybe yeah, it's not. sure, sure. And if you get it on the wrong day, it C- could be bad. Maybe gives you like explosive diarrhea. <laughs> okay. Um. Do you want to do... David Shaw would not consent to be on a barbecue menu. Um, it would have to be one of those like really upscale like frou frou barbecue places. Yeah, like some fusion barbecue place, like some like um, you know. He'd be like the non barbecue option at the barbecue place. Maybe. Yeah, no, he's like uh, a piece of wagyu beef slathered <laughs> in barbecue sauce. <laughs> I like that. Um, what about Wilcox? Uh... Mm. Mm. Was he one of uh, Was he one of the drinking buddies? No, I don't think so. I think he. Uh, I was gonna go something beer battered. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think he was in that um, category. I could go like pork ribs or something like. Just something standard. Yeah, some I think he's kind of bear. a staple. Uh, sure. But not necessarily like the old school barbecue. Maybe that's like a, you know okay. Yeah, um, Mario Cristobal just brisket. brisket. Brisket? Yeah, I, gonna, I yeah, think he's got to be brisket. Yeah, yeah. he's brisket. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan Smith is uh, barbecue chicken. Yes, perfect. Uh, uh, Jimmy Lake. Ooh, mm. smoked something like a smoked uh, sausage or something. Um, sure, I don't know Jimmy Lake that well. So it's yeah, fine. yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Nick Rolovich, what are you doing there? It's got to be exotic. Um, it's something that's not on every barbecue menu. What's something that's like kind of unique? That's uh, you know, like God, um, like a uh, like a tri-tip shepherd's pie. I don't know something something like weird. Like it's like it's got good barbecue elements in it, but it's like off the off the beaten path. Yeah. Like maybe like barbecued watermelon or something, like some barbecued <laughs> fruit. Sure, but like really well done. Like it's really. Oh good. yeah, no, like really good, but like just something weird. Yeah. Um, all right, Kyle Whittingham, like a pork butt or something, like you know, just like a solid piece of meat that you're, you know, he could be briskety too, but yeah, he could definitely be briskety. Maybe he's chopped brisket and uh, and Cristobal is like the. Oh no, I know what it is. He's lean brisket and Mario Cristobal is fatty brisket. Okay, all right. Uh, Carl Durrell. Um, it's not threatening. It's like the what you know people. It's not spicy for sure. Pulled pork. Yeah, pulled pork. I like that. It's good, uh, but it's, you know. yeah, it's fine. Um, all right, then we've got Herm. It's got to be a classic, right? Like it's got to be something. Yeah. That, I mean, like chicken wings or something, or yeah, maybe just chicken wings. Okay, but like really good. I mean, like, yeah, no, like chicken, obviously the best. Yeah, like classic. Something you're like, oh yeah, I go there for their wings. Yeah. Um, jedfish. I got nothing for jedfish. Uh, creamed corn. <laughs> I think he's got a little more flair than cream corn. 
<laughs> Look, you get some good creamed corn from like Rudy's in Texas. All right. It's good stuff. What about like jalapeno, like mac and cheese with like. Okay, a, fine. Fine. Yeah. Fine. That's okay. fine. Nice. Um, and then he said this is recruiting related, I think. Uh, this is from College Foot Sat. Does Azanaro have a Twitter burner account? Yes. Refer to Sam Conan, Cannon tweet for proof. Hmm. I don't know. So Jerry Azanaro is ostensibly uh, UCLA's defensive coordinator. Uh, defensive coordinator. However, and it's Sam Conan. Um, however. Ooh, okay. He has a tweet from a Jackson 22 uh, who said that he's a huge as believer. Um who's only ever tweeted about Jerry as an arrow. So. This is a compelling podcasting. Yeah, it's tough, man. Uh, I don't think it's as an arrow because generally speaking, I'm not. Um, and this is, this is ageist. I'm just going to preface this. I don't think, especially in the football realm that like, your older coaches are generally messing around too much with social media themselves. Probably not. Yeah. So I'm guessing a family member, maybe a kid who knows. All right. And then I think we have one new one that just came in. Uh, w for Westwood. How many alternate names has Hithliday written into the show with over or under five? No, oh, I just assumed everyone was. <laughs> and all of you who are tweeting at us now are all Hithliday alternates. Uh, yeah, is that so, wrong? Yeah. Ryan, I'm assuming that you, who I've met before, uh, <laughs> are actually Hithliday. <laughs> no, I, we definitely have different personalities, but I could be, or maybe you could be. I don't know. You're, you, I think you're closer to a Hithliday than I am. Who knows? Wouldn't it throw people to learn that I actually record both sides of this podcast and it's just me? <laughs> and Hithliday is just a figment of my imagination? That's uh, plausible. I think. <laughs> I think it's really possible, man. Yeah, it takes a that would take some work, but uh, I think we're there. Yeah, I think we. Um, can. All right. Well, thanks again for all the questions and everything, and uh, we'll try to get back on a regular routine. Um, anything else, David? Before we wrap it up. No, no. I, this was uh, beautiful. I laughed. I cried. Um, just it was really a, a spiritual time for all of us. It was, and we do appreciate all of the listeners out there. Thanks for the reviews. Thanks for the questions, for the tweets and all that. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. I'm out of the well, and uh, we'll be going forward doing the show as of the duo that you expect. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Pukunukua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier.
Your dynasty journey starts here.